as women age, their natural instinct to care goes into overdrive. They believe that they're responsible for the health and well-being of everyone associated within their support system, so much so that their own personal health is often neglected. However, as they get older, it's important for them to make their own personal health a top priority. According to my friends over at the National Institute of Health, they report that middle-aged women's ability to lose weight as they age becomes increasingly more difficult. The Institute says that weight gain is associated with a decline in lean muscle mass in middle-aged women. The proportion of lean mass is positively associated with BMR, a component of energy expenditure, slow metabolic rate in menopausal women, decreases their capacity to effectively burn calories, which in turn would positively promote an effective calorie balance. For Kimbra here, this is an issue that she deals with on a daily basis. She is a health coach. For middle-aged women, helping them to lose weight, get stronger, and boost energy by leveraging muscle mass and mindset work. Rahir has an interesting story of her own to share. She's gone from a wheelchair to a weightlifting podium. She was diagnosed with MS more than 10 years ago, just as she was turning 50. All while she was in the process of winning a European Masters Weightlifting Championship. Her story has inspired women to build muscle and use their own personal health journey as an elixir and a source of salvation. And Rahir stopped by the program this week all the way from Madrid, Spain to have an international conversation about the importance of women's health in midlife, the overcoming of obstacles, the promotion of inclusion, and so much more. I'm Kevin McShann. Let's have this conversation.
welcome you to the program, and I'm super excited to talk to you about how you help women, middle-aged women, value their health. Great to see you today, and thank you so very much for being here. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate uh, you know the opportunity to talk to you and have a great conversation. Absolutely. Now, Kim, I know you work with middle-aged women as a health coach to help them in their weight loss journey. So I'm wondering if we can start our conversation by you telling me uh, why you love what you do and what makes you so fabulous. Yeah, um, I'm really passionate about this because... Um, I use an approach that, that's not very common for women. It's pretty simple and straightforward. It's all about, you know, building muscle, conserving your muscle mass and maintaining it. Um, but it's not something that in our culture is associated with with women or with women's health. We have other notions. We are brought up, you know, thinking we should be cute and tiny and elegant and and pretty. Um, and physical strength is never really taught uh, as a value or a virtue to women. Um, it is expected, however, because when, you know, when you're a mother, I mean, women are bodybuilders, like literally, right? They build bodies. Um, so they must be strong. And it's considered totally normal also to carry two toddlers in your arms and take groceries home. But strong being strong in itself is not like this kind of value that we're taught. So this is my approach when women reach out to me because they cannot lose the stubborn weight. And this happens in middle age when you realize all the stuff that you've been doing forever, for years, for decades, sometimes, you know, harsh dieting in May, you just live on soup for all for the entire month of May. So you can look good in your summer clothes in June. These things don't work anymore and they don't work anymore because, you know, when you go through a lot of harsh dieting, your metabolism sort of, I mean, it doesn't shut down, but it really uh, slows down because it's thinking, oh my God, nothing is coming in here in terms of energy. So I better go slowly so I don't need as much energy. And that creates the famous yo-yo cycle where your machine you know, your engine becomes smaller every time you diet. Um, so when you go back to eating normally, um, you, you feed your engine too much fuel because it has shrunk. Whereas when you go do the whole sort of weight loss or weight management approach in the spirit of building, of nourishing, of thinking, what does my body actually need to perform to, to function properly and, and just no, except that building muscle is your biggest health insurance. Um, it yes, it works very well. Like you know, my clients they lose weight and they feel great and they become stronger. But most of all, it really changes the mindset and the paradigm because you're not in this in this culture of wanting to shrink or to destroy or to reduce or to restrict. You're in a in a in a spirit of building and nourishing, and that is just so much more positive and positive feedback for the brain. And that's why it's easier to keep going and stick with it. Yeah, absolutely. And again, whether it be middle-aged or uh, uh, getting older just naturally as women, why do you think it's um, particularly important for middle-aged women to make their health a priority? Well, it's pretty typical for women 
um, and I hear that all the time when they go through their lives looking after everyone and everything um, and somehow forgetting their self-care in the process. Uh, things like, you know, working out regularly or getting proper sleep is a big one. And then when you reach middle age and then maybe perimenopause hits and all of a sudden you don't feel like yourself anymore. You start wondering what's going on here and you realize um, that you have been so busy looking after everyone else that you have forgotten about yourself. And that can be quite daunting because if you haven't had this habit of self-care for a long time, uh, it's often difficult to find out where do I start? How do I even do this? Um, and how do I sort of rid myself of this knee-jerk reaction that we women have? We have knee-jerk reactions of wanting to help everybody around us, which is great. But when you when you age and when you start feeling some kind of fatigue, when you don't have the same energy levels, when you struggle getting out of bed in the morning, you know, you you can't help the people around you as as well anymore. And that sort of questions, not only like your physical ability, it's also a matter of your identity because we tend to define ourselves also as the person who's like the backbone of, of you know, our families, our communities, everyone around us. And I think even though this is probably a cultural thing that women are like these nurturing people always looking after everyone, um, it doesn't matter how you you know want to interpret this. It's been a women my age. It's been a fact of their lives, and it's hard for them to realize that they you know need to change something about their their behaviors or their priorities. And it might be counterintuitive because they always want to help everybody else. And now is the time when they realize they need to help themselves first, you know, like on the plane when they say, put on your oxygen mask first and then help others. And that's the situation you get to um, as a middle-aged woman. And it's, um, you know, it's a big change and it can be very hard. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, Kim, you've got quite a story, personal story yourself. I know that uh, after uh, being uh, diagnosed with MS about 10 years ago, uh, as you were turning 50, and you were winning a master weightlifting uh, championship. So tell me about your personal uh, journey and how it's impacted the person you are today. Yeah, absolutely. So I had three small kids, I had a job, I was happy, and then this disease sort of struck me down out of out of the blue. Um, and it's very scary. Everything is all, you don't know what the future brings. Um, and, you know, get you get all sorts of treatment. I was prescribed a treatment that you had to inject th three times a week. Um, and it made you feel like very, like you had the flu. It was very unpleasant. But there's one thing that I um, that I did when that happened, and it was I did not want to have the mindset of a of a sick person. I just wanted to live my life and do whatever I could do. And I do have lesions in my in my spine and in my brain. Um, but after a while, I realized that I could move normally, and I decided that I was going to um, go back to training, go back to the gym, and 
that's also when I started to train in a spirit of building. I wanted to build myself back up. I had gone to the gym before, but it was always in this, you know, trying to look good, uh, trying to look after your weight and uh, and your body shape. And the change came after, you know, being in a wheelchair, your legs are um, atrophied and um, you want to build yourself back up instead of shrinking or, or, or dieting or anything. And it helped me feel so much better so quickly. Um, it was physical. I got stronger and noticeably stronger, but it's also mentally. You just feel more confident when you feel physically strong. And um, I talked to my doctors and first they said, you know, to be careful with exercise. They're not really quite sure. Can they let you go out there and do stuff? They, I think they're not, it's not really their expertise or their their method of choice when it comes to to healing people um, but they every time I checked in with them they saw that I was getting stronger and better and I loved it so much that at some point I switched to from just normal weight training in the gym I switched to Olympic weightlifting which is um, very technical there's just two movements you lift the bar overhead in the snatch in one single movement and in the clean and jerk in two movements and I started learning that at the tender age of 55. I love the challenge because it's a mix of strength and technique and it's lifelong learning, which is something that I really appreciate. And yeah, this has, this has, sorry. Yeah, this has my today. I'm actually grateful for my illness because it really changed my, my mindset, my attitude. I, do not get upset or worked up about things that used to take so much importance before I was ill. Um, I I really appreciate every single day that I have on this planet and I live in the full awareness that everything can be, you know, taken away from me from one day to the next, like it had happened before when I was hospitalized from one day to the next. And this is not something that scares me it actually makes me grateful for being here and um, it's something that I want to share that we can always live today um, I know that so many people are worried and many women my age are worried oh my god I'm getting older what's going to happen I'm becoming invisible um, and when you focus on today and do whatever it is that you can do today um, I feel that you can live a fulfilled life. And this is something that I want to share with the women I work with. And yes, most of the time they come to me for weight loss, but they realize very soon that it's about so much more. Um, you know, it's about living with your values, living uh, your life to the fullest, living your potential, you know, not hiding. And the weightlifting part is very um, significant for me because you know it's you know it's masters competitions it's like old people um going go, meeting for competitions and you're a master from 35 years onward so um it's it's like a bit of fun for older people but it's a situation like in weightlifting you know you step out on a platform 
you know, the lights are on, your name is called and you go out there and you have to do your thing. There's no, you cannot hide behind anyone. And to experience that is, is scary, but it's also exhilarating. And it means that, you know, even as a middle-aged woman, I mean, I, I turned 60 this year, you can still have this spice of life where, you know, you leave your comfort zone and, and you come back and, and you feel better for it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Kim, I have to tell you, you look fabulous, fabulous for just turning uh, 60, by the way. So whatever you're doing is working, okay? <laughs> Thank you so much. That's very kind of you. So, and Kim, I'm curious to get your thoughts on the power of both resilience and perseverance, because as you know, I was uh, born with cerebral palsy and I've been uh, confined to a wheelchair for all of my life, um, getting around places and I used a walker for exercise. But I always tell people that the reason that uh, fitness is uh, important to me is because it's something I prioritize and, you know, as a result of my disability, if I don't exercise, my muscles shrink or contract faster than most people. So tell me about the, the, the power of perseverance and resilience from your view and how it's related to exercise. Yes, I, I think and this is something that I'm always fighting in, in, in all my messages and everything that I share. Many people think that something like resilience or perseverance or or discipline or willpower are like in innate character traits, like something that you have or you don't have. Whereas I think that it's something um, that you build, that you build for yourself. Um, I think resilience is like a like a network actually of of support points. Um, I often speak with women who tell me, um, 10 years ago, I felt great. I had a personal trainer. I worked out with them three times a week. I was in great shape and I felt fantastic. And then they moved away. They moved town and I was left with nothing. And for me, that is a, a lack of resilience in the sense that you have only one point of support and one knot doesn't make a net. You can build a resilience net by having many different points of support, many different knots in, in your net of support. Um, and that's you know, not only exercise. Exercise is one uh, one part of this, um, but it's your community, your family, um, your nutrition, your, um, how you, how, you know, how you treat your mind, your, your lifelong learning, reading, all these things that you have in your life that you, cultivate that you enjoy that you practice they form like knots of an of a net and then if one thing falls away like your trainer moves away or um i don't know you move you move yourself or something changes in your in your life you still have a net of support because you haven't just counted on one point of support, but you have knitted this thing with many knots and you can't fall because the other parts of the net, they will catch you. And I think it's really important to understand that this is something that you can 
skill that you can develop and that is not um, because, you know, you have a flawed character that you do not have resilience or because um, you, you know, feel you don't have willpower. Um, we always um, tend to attach like some kind of moral judgment to things that when you break them down are actually skills that you can learn. And I think that's quite liberating because living with the idea that something doesn't work in your character, that you have a flawed personality, that must be extremely frustrating. Whereas when you can see it as a skill that you can learn and build, um, then it's up to you and you can do something about it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, can you also say that building muscle and becoming strong doesn't have to be exclusive to men. And it can, can actually be an elixir for women to take control of their lives. And, you know, I want to go also back to something you said earlier about building muscle is your best health insurance. So tell me why women should really embrace the idea of building muscle and why is it not exclusive only to men? I'm fascinated to get your answer there. Yes. Well, most people, when you talk about lifting weights or building muscle they still have they we still have this 70s folklore you know of schwarzenegger pumping iron in the gym and even though i do i practice olympic weightlifting some people say well you are bodybuilding and you know this is really this imagery of of half naked guys in the gym sweating and pumping iron um is still very present so women tend to think, yeah, this is not for me. I would never go there. I would not feel comfortable. Um, but women do lose muscle mass at a rate of 3 to 8% per decade after th 30. So um, they become weaker if they do not counter that evolution. And becoming weaker means um, at some point in your life that you're going to be prone to falls, that you're going to have joint aches, that you're going to have back pain. And further on, you will uh, actually lose your independence. Uh, the longevity is really tightly linked to um, functional independence, which can be measured through strength. Some uh, researchers actually just measure grip strength um, to find out about people's uh, functionality. Um, and I always use the example of, you know, you want to be able to open a pickle jar, right? And it's not got nothing to do with looking like Arnold. It's more like being able to get out of a chair or to open a pickle jar to keep your independence. And as women, because of the drop in estrogen, we are prone to losing muscle mass pretty fast. And you really need to counter that. You need to uh, fight that decay um, if you want to stay um, fit and healthy. And there's so many other health benefits to muscle that we are discovering right now. And over the last years, we thought it was just about bone strength, for example. It's another big thing for women um, and about skeletal, muscular skeletal health, but it's actually also about metabolic health and it's about mental health too. This is something that's been found time and time again that strength training will actually uh, reduce symptoms of anxiety, depression, things like this. So 
Um, it's a it's like a very well-rounded tool and I love the simplicity of it. And I think it's very important to mention that you do not need to go to a gym to do that. You can stay at home um, and work with your body weight and and become strong and muscular and, you know, help your health uh, along. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, I came out a pretty practical person and I, I live my life uh through the prism of practicality as much as I can. So if I told you that I was going to give you a million dollars to produce a commercial about the practical steps that women can take to really optimize their health, how, uh, what points do you think you would emphasize in the commercial? Well, I would certainly, first of all, show how easy it is to start in your, your own home to make it like really accessible and easy to to imitate, to repeat. Um, and then I would just list all the benefits that you get from being muscular, uh, you know, from feeling strong, from standing straight, from carrying yourself with confidence to um, really great metabolic health uh, markers no, no problems with insulin resistance or diabetes two or pre being pre diabetic, and then of course the the mental health benefits. I would actually just end with the slogan: "Building muscle will make you happy." Yeah, absolutely. And you know, uh, Kim, I know that you have a former background as a journalist. So tell me, how does your former background as a journalist and in communications help you? I communicate more effectively with your clients. Oh yeah, that's a that's a great one. It's um, it's pretty. It's not only easy for me; it's fun for me to 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 write things like um, like resources for my clients. Um, I enjoy organizing webinars for them where I share all the latest stuff that I learn about health and fitness. Um, I love putting information into words and I love and that's I think that's a big part of journalism and that's something that I always enjoyed is um, looking at the complexity of our world, looking at the complexity of everything that's out there. And if you have read anything about health and fitness online ever, you know how much complexity is out there, how much overwhelming information and taking that complexity and boiling it down into simple sentences um, and also simpler, simpler concepts that you can understand and that you can then transfer into simple tools of daily use is something that totally fascinates me and I love it. It's a daily challenge to go and find these, this, these complex um, connections and then really, really strip them of everything that is not necessary and then find the words to put that into a simple sentence that makes sense and that will be helpful for my clients. So I feel that I, in a way, I have always um, been on a journey to what I'm doing now, even when I was a journalist before, what I what I learned as a journalist is helping me so much now in really just, you know, putting things into into simple words that make sense to people yeah absolutely and 
you know, uh, Kim, I'm fascinated to ask you about your perspective when it comes to the concept of self-improvement and the importance of women really knowing the, their value and what they stand for. So tell me about your perspective on the concept of uh, self-improvement and knowing your value. What are your thoughts there? I think that's a, it's a, it's a tricky subject for, for women because many, many women have a very self-critical stance um, and when they think about self-improvement, um, I think they have this attitude of thinking of everything that they lack and that they sort of have to compensate instead of thinking that they are, uh, you know, a full, lovable, great person and that self-improvement just means to explore and then exploit your potential, you know, discover new things in life that could be fun, discover new skills, um, discover new sensations, um, new situations, um, and really respect yourself the way you are. And just because you, you know, want to improve doesn't mean that you are not fine the way you are now. I think this is really a very um, difficult one to get your head around. We tend to think we're lacking this, we're not doing right here, we can't do this. Um, and I think that's not what self-improvement is about. Self-improvement is not about finding all your flaws and, and faults and then sort of um, uh, filling the holes. It's it's really, you know, looking at who are you today and 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 who would you love to become in a in a loving and 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 aspiring way. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, uh, Kim, I want to go back to the concept of resilience just for a moment because. You're saying we can use resilience as a safety net uh, towards prosperity. So tell me about why uh, we should consider using resilience as a safety net. Because we, as humans, are always subjected to life and stuff that happens to us, right? And many people live in, in fear of uncertainty and and things that might arrive and it's i think it's a natural state of a human being to have fear because that's what helps us um survive it has helped us you know survive for thousands and thousands of years fear is like uh, a sensor that makes us shy away from things um that might be dangerous and to build that safety net in a in the in the awareness that you cannot you cannot stop life from happening but you can have points of support that you can count on and that you can fall back on i think it will help you mitigate the fear and it will help you live more and and dare more do more things because you know that you have that net and even though you're aware that you can you know not stop life from happening um, you know that you're not alone and that you have a, a bit of a safety net and then you can be courageous enough to do more things. There's an image that I like a lot also with, that some people use in uh, when it comes to raising children. 
Um, and it's the image of life as a very, very broad, wide bridge over a deep water. And you need like um, a barrier or a fence at the outside of that bridge because if there is no restriction and the bridge is just in the open, um, you know, as a child, what do you do? You either explore and you could fall off the bridge or you stay in, like anxiously just in the middle and you don't, don't see even half of what the bridge, you know, has to offer. So if we have these sort of barriers or boundaries that, that help us, um, we can inside this, these barriers that make us feel safe um, explore much more of life and 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 be more courageous in finding and discovering new things. Yeah, and you know, uh, Kim, I'm fascinated to ask you about uh, the um, notion of prosperity and the promise of prosperity because you know, uh, in today's world, you know, Kim, uh, depending on what kind of lens you view the world from and can sometimes get distorted or sometimes get blown out of proportion or taken out of context. So in your view, my friend, how do you view the promise of prosperity? What does that mean to you? Well, that's actually, I think this is also a tricky one because um, first of all, it depends on how how you define prosperity. And for me, it is like the the potential and the possibility, the opportunity to to become the person that you want to be. So many people, when they hear prosperity, they probably think, you know, it's about getting rich. I think, you know, prospering is actually living your potential, becoming who you want to be um, and, and growing as a person as much as you like. That's the first part of the promise of prosperity. What's prosperity for you? And and be very clear about this. Uh, the promise part is tricky too, because you have to ask yourself who's making the promise. If you think that you are promised prosperity, you create expectations, which are sometimes uh, very difficult uh, feelings. If you have expectations, you know there's a lot of risk of you know being disappointed. If you are the person who makes the promise to yourself, then it's different because then you can have this relationship with yourself. And I am promising myself that I can become the person that I want to be. And there's no no resentment because you think you know some outside person or entity promised something and then not kept it. If you the promise comes from you, then I think it can be very empowering. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Kim, what do you think is the key to creating great health habits? What do you think the key is there? Um, I think it's starting small. I think that's really the most important part. Um, we tend to, especially now, you know, we're close to January. People are going to want to overhaul their whole lifestyle and become totally different uh, people stop drinking, stop eating junk, uh, start exercising every day. The most important part in building habits is really starting as small as you possibly can and start with something that you are 150% sure that you can do every single day. And if that's just 
you know, taking a multi multivitamin or drinking a glass of water, then start with that. Do not aim too high because you're going to set yourself up for disappointment. And when you start small and you can actually do the small thing every single day, you get positive reinforcement. You, you, you know, you can be proud of yourself. You can tick it off and you say, wow, I did that. I had an extra glass of water seven, seven days in a row. So now I can may, maybe move on to something, something else, you know, build on that, stack the habits. Um, but if you start too, too ambitiously or with this idea of a big overhaul, um, most of the time you're going to crash and burn. I think starting small is is the most important, uh, the best thing that you can do for yourself. And then start simple too. There's a lot of complex and complicated stuff out there. I mentioned it before um, when basically we know that we should just drink a lot of water, eat our vegetables and, you know, move as much as we, as we can. Um, so small and simple is, is the safest way to build good health habits. Yeah, absolutely. And you also say that trying to eat healthy uh, is sort of the worst strategy people can have when they want to drop fat, fat and become more leaner and strong, my friend. So tell me why uh, making the sudden shifts in our eating habits is the sort of the worst strategy we can have, and how do we reverse that? Yeah, it's uh, it's one of my pet peeves, so to speak, where, because I hear so many women tell me that they're just trying to eat healthy. Um, and the first problem with that sentence is the word trying, because if your goal is trying, you know, then you've already achieved it because trying is, uh, yeah, you've tried, but you, maybe you didn't do it, but you tried. So it's not, it's not clear enough. It's not challenging enough to say my goal is to try to eat healthy and then eating healthy is so vague that it cannot give you the right guidance what does it even mean when you say eating healthy it's something totally different for an elite athlete who runs 50 kilometers every day or someone who um you know has a sedentary desk job it's it's really you want to be very, very specific with all your habits and with your eating goals. Um, vague thing like eating healthy, you know, you could you could stuff yourself with vegan lasagna, for example, or gluten-free pie. It's still lasagna and it's still pie. So, you know, you can tell yourself or fool yourself with by saying, oh, I'm eating healthy when actually you haven't really changed your habits. You might have replaced a comf comfort food with a different version of a comfort food, but it's not specific to your goal. When you want to lose weight, you need to really identify your goal and then find the specific foods that will help you get there and not just general eating healthy because it will keep you running in circles and, and not really get you anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Kim, if I asked you to define the word commi uh, a commi commitment from a, a consistent standpoint, whether it be health-wise or in life, how do you think you would define the term uh, consistent commitment? Yeah, 
I think it's the willingness to show up every single day. And when I say willingness to show up, uh, I, I say that on purpose. So, you know, it could be that life totally gets in the way and you can't actually do the thing that you wanted to do. But when you show up and you're willing to show up every day, then you, you know, you are, you are there and you are connected in your mind to the process, which is the most important part. Um, and this connection to this process that you commit to will keep you coming back and showing up every day, even when there's a really, really bad day where you can't do everything you wanted to do. But your willingness to show up, I think, is is really the best definition of a consistent commitment. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Kim, living with a, a disability yourself for as long as you have and as long as I, I have, I'm always interested to ask uh, people like myself uh, and who have lived a similar circumstances, their idea or definition of inclusion and breaking down barriers to access. So how would you define inclusion and really breaking down barriers to access? Yeah, that's a good that's a good one. That's the first part of this is of course um, to break down physical barriers and where I live in Spain um we're pretty advanced so you know many um many areas are accessible uh, uh, even older buildings they are they are changed they're renovated so the physical barriers um are are disappearing which is great and then uh, the other barriers i can only speak from my experience with my um weightlifting uh friends because i i train in a gym where we have a great section of para powerlifters people with disabilities who are lifting. And uh, my feeling is that the greatest gift of inclusion that we that we can give is, you know, just to view them as our normal um, colleagues. They train like we train. There's no um, awkwardness around this. You know, we, we joke together, we train together, Everybody have, has their problems. And I think um, to just uh, see them as human beings as, as they are and, and not um, not worry, for example, worry about saying something weird or not worry about uh, doing something clumsy. Uh, is I think that's something that's really important because that makes us feel that we're all in it together and we're all just the same. We are all humans and doing what we can in our situation. Yeah, absolutely. And Kim, my final question for you today has to do with the concept of legacy and how you want your individual and personal and professional legacy uh, to be defined. Well, I would... I would like to think that I made a difference in the world and that the people that I came in contact with uh, felt that it was beneficial or that that was in enriching their lives in whichever way. Uh, I don't have a big ambition like leaving a legacy. Everybody's going to talk about Kim's 
famous muscle building program or anything. I'd love for my legacy to be when people remember meeting me that they think, yeah, that was that was a good situation. That was something I would not want to have missed meeting meeting that person, meeting Kim. Yeah, absolutely. And finally, Kim, tell me if people want to uh, get connected with you, what's the best way they can do that? Well, there's two ways. They can just shoot me an email at kim at kimrahir.com or go to my website, which is also kimrahir.com. And I ha actually have an assessment tool on there if they want to find out how their health is doing, uh, health and strength. Um, they can download that free tool and and it's from a perspective of deep health. So it's not about knocking out push-ups. Um, and this, you know, can give you a great starting point if you want to change something about your health and fitness. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Kim, I thoroughly enjoyed spending a few minutes with you talking about women's health, inclusion, life, and everything in between your work in the space of women's health and time on my behalf is most appreciated. And I want to thank you for being here and engaging in conversation with me today. I want to thank you for having me. It was really a great chat and uh, loved your questions. Very insightful and thoughtful. And it's really, really great to have that conversation.